0: The reading is from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Salt and Light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world,
1: It's a real joy to be with you this morning. Um, Trish, my wife, would be with me. She sends her love to you. Um, normally she'd be here encouraging me, making notes of my mistakes and, and all the rest. Um, <laughs> but she's leading worship over at SAC this morning, so uh, I'm praying that I'm having a great morning there. Um, and first of all, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for the way that you support the work at St Andrews. Um, I met with the councillors um, to the city councilors two weeks ago, talking about the community center. And I said, you know how um, we've taken it over, we're reopening it, and they said, yeah, we're amazed at how you managed to raise 250,000 in such a short space of time. And I said, yeah, I was amazed. I was astounded, I was humbled. And I said, the reason we did, because we have a congregation who know what it is to invest in the kingdom of God, who know what it is to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. So I'm to say thank you as we reopen the center. Um, it's because of your faithfulness to God. And I want to thank you for that. It's also brilliant to, to be here piggybacking on, on Rachel and hope into action. If you want to see salt and light, go and speak with Rachel and see what a difference they're making in the community. Um, some of my heroes, in the faith, people like William Wilberforce. 25 years abolishing slavery took him. Cost him his health, his friendships, ridicule. But eventually he got there, and three days before his death, he heard that slavery was being abolished in this country. A lifetime of service, of being salt and light in the community. So um, some of my heroes. And what a text they've given me to to be let loose on you with this morning. You've probably all heard people preaching in this text several times. Um, before I start, can I just say, the Sermon on the Mount is not a code of ethics. It's not a list of, of do's and don'ts. The Sermon on the Mount is a description of your character. It is a description of how you live your life. It's not a legal document where you criticize people if they don't match up to what's written there. But of course, you are a legal document. You know that, don't you? You are a legal document before God. When you came to faith, when you put your name on that dotted line, committed your life to following Jesus, it says the Holy Spirit put his seal upon it. He put his seal upon you like they did in the old days when they did a a legal agreement. Seven witnesses would seal it. And it says the Holy Spirit put his seal upon you. So in the last day when that seal is opened up, your name will be there. You'll be accepted into the kingdom of God for eternity. So you are a legal document. So let's go to this story of the Sermon on the Mount. It's early on in Jesus' ministry, and later on Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world, in John chapter 8. But here he's on a mountain, there's crowds with him, and it says the disciples come up to him. Now we don't know whether he's speaking simply to the disciples or to the whole crowd. Doesn't matter in the end, it's meant to be for all of us. But he says this to a bunch of young teenagers, to people in their late teens, early 20s. The disciples were not old men like you see in all the classic paintings, the, the Reformation paintings. They weren't, they were young people. And he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And the tense is emphatic. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you should be reading it, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are the light of the world. Now, I wonder how the disciples felt at that moment. These young guys, these fishermen, these rough and ready guys, unlearned. Do you know what it says in the book of Acts when Peter and John, they'd healed the lame man and they're taken for the, the leadership? It says this in Acts 4, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. And if ever there is a key to it, that is it. But Jesus said to these young guys, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So humor me for a minute. Just turn to the person next to you and just say, You are the salt of the earth. Now to the person on the other side, turn and say, You are... The light of the world now look at me and say I am the light of the world because that is who you are and we tend to belittle ourselves and think we've got we've got nothing to say we we tend to hide away Trish and I spent nine years in Greece and recently and um, in the middle of it we went up to a place in the middle of Greece called Meteora have you got that picture up, please? In which they built monasteries on top of mountains, totally inaccessible, except by climbing up. In fact, one of them, you need a bridge from one mountain to another to get to it. And they thought this was being light on a hill, cutting themselves off from the world and, and living a life of exile. There's nine of those places in a small area. The thing about salt and light is salt is needed where there's rottenness and there's petritude, where things are, are decaying. That's where you rub salt to preserve. Light is needed where there's darkness. You don't need light in a church because it's full of light. You are the light. But light is needed where there's darkness. And I just say, age has got nothing to do with it. An old candle that's, that's burnt down over the years produces the same amount of light as a brand new candle just lit. The light stays the same. You are the sent out ones. We've heard this joke of a, of a young policeman um, who is sitting his, his sergeant's exam. And he gets this question, he says, you're walking down the street on, on duty, And you see a bank robbery about to take place, men with with rifles storming a bank. At the same time, you see a petrol tanker has just crashed, and petrol is spilling out onto the street. Meanwhile, across the road, the house is on fire, and there's people up at the roof screaming for help. And as you look down the street, you see a bunch of yobs coming with baseball bats, threatening to beat everybody up. What would you do? And this young policeman wrote, I'd take off my uniform, and I'd mingle with the crowds. (laughs) We don't have that luxury. You are called to be salt and light. You're an ambassador of what Jesus called his church. He called you to be his disciples, his followers. The official title of Christians is not Christian. That was a nickname given to um, the Ephesian church. Our official title is followers of the way. We have a road to walk and a life to live that follows the way of Jesus. That's what we're called to be. We're called the sent up ones. In the old days, salt was actually paid to Roman soldiers as part of their salary. It was expensive and part of their salary was they were paid in salt. Except the employers knew well. If I've got to give out all this expensive stuff, why don't we just mix a bit of gypsum with it and, and, you know, just mix it down a little bit? And and that's what they would do. And of course, so it went on. The next people did the same, and all the rest. Till in the end, that salt had lost its favour. It was a mixture of salt and dust and all the rest. And when you tasted, you couldn't tell the difference. And as Jesus said, what they did with that salt, they literally used to throw it on the street. It was like dust. It was worthless. Salt doesn't lose its flavour, but it does get mixed up and watered down over the years. It's interesting. The longer you go on in church, the more critical and and watered down we tend to become. Young people are often the radical. You know, a young person they'll sit on, sleep on on church floors if they go out on mission. They'll they'll take the rough for the smooth get to my age, it's a bit more difficult to do that. I'd like my bed, you know, just um, we tend to lose our saltiness. I'm going to take you to a phrase that Bonhoeffer wrote a while back, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. says this, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Let me just read that again to you. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Does it? I remember when a few years ago, Trish and I were in South Africa, and we had a day off, we went to a coffee shop, we were drinking coffee, and on a an illness board, we noticed a sign. And it's from an organization called the 94.7 Bike Race, Cycle Race. And every year in Johannesburg, there is a, a charity called the 94.7 cycle race. And they do a a tour of Johannesburg, raising money for the orphanages that they support. It's called 94.7. They cycle 94.7 kilometers. That's the the frequency of the radio station, It's filmed to radio one in, in Johannesburg. But in this letter, they were writing an apology to businesses and churches about the disruption that this race would be on the one Sunday in the year when it was run. They were apologizing to churches that roads were being closed and some of the congregation were going to find it difficult to get to church and they were apologizing for that. And in one place they even had to build a bridge over a motorway for people to get to their church. And we spoke to the coffee shop and said, yeah, my son runs cycles in that race. And look at this letter. And I said, can we take it please? And we took it back to our church said, look, this is what they think of church, an organization that criticizes and moans about everything. They're moaning because one Sunday in the year, people can't get to their service. I said, can we do something different? And I've realized after 40 odd years of being a Christian, I'm actually an activist. I've realized that finally as I was preparing this. And I said to them, "Um, what we'd like to do is, why don't we close church Let's get everybody out on the street supporting the bike race. They're raising millions for this charity to look after orphans. What a brilliant work. That's what we're called to do. So how do we support what they are doing? And after a few battles, discussions of what happens to the offering that Sunday, they agreed. <laughs> they agreed we would do it. So on that Sunday at 5 o'clock in the morning, the worship team were out on a trailer in the part of the road. But before that, when we were given permission, we decided to ring the organisers. He says, um, can we speak to the, to the race organisers? Yes, why? And who are you? He said, we're a church. Silence on the phone. Then a nervous voice, yes, what can we do for you? He says, we'd like to help. Silence on the phone again. It says, what do you mean help? He we think you're doing a fantastic work. What a brilliant thing you are doing for this nation. How can we help you? Further silence. Eventually, you want to help us? You're not critical. No, we said, we love what you're doing. How can we help you? Oh, we'll come and meet. So next day, two of the leaders came into the church. One of this woman with earrings and, and, and tattoos said, it's the first time I've been in church for 10 years. I hate church. Good start, I thought. And we explained how we were upset at their letter. We are upset that the church is seen as negative and critical, that what we want to do is support you. What can we do to help? And they said anything. Just, just get out of the street and cheer up. You can have a fan zone. Take a fan zone and just be there. So that's what we did. Our worship team were up at five in the morning, set up on a trailer, the rest of the church joined them at six in the morning. And for six hours, we clapped and cheered every cyclist along the road. We gave out sponges. We had a, a place where anybody with a puncture could have their bike repaired. We, we just blessed that, that race. So in the middle of the morning, um, one of the organizers, the, like the top DJ of the 94.7 um, station stopped he was coming through, and he said, gee, guys, what are you doing? Who are you? And when we explained, he was astounded. He said, you closed church for us? We said, yeah, it's a joy to do it, support what you're doing. And uh, the next day on his radio station, he bigged us up, called us the 94.7 church, <laughs> and people joined the church. As a result, people came to faith because of it. They came and said, are you the 94.7 church? And we said, yeah, that's us. There's a lot of goodness in this world, and people are striving to make a difference, but somehow we tend to feel that we're not part of it. I want to read what Charles Spurgeon once wrote, he said, the Bible is not the light of the world, it is the light of the church. But the world doesn't read the Bible, the world reads Christians. You." are the light of the world. What I'm saying is the church should be engaged in the community. We should be involved in what is happening in our community. Gandhi wrote, sadly wrote, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. In other words, we've lost our flavor were not seen to be the positive change in society that we're called to be. If I want to ruin a party, if I go to a party, all I need to say is, if I'm talking to somebody, I'm a minister. Silence. (laughs) And the look of dread on this person's, oh no, I'm stuck with a lunatic. (laughs) And they're looking for ways to escape from me. Isn't it funny how... Jesus was criticized for eating with sinners, for going into sinners' homes and having meals with them. The religious leaders couldn't cope with that. They criticized him for it. What have we become if that's what's happened? What are we as a church doing? I love our Sunday morning. Don't get me wrong. I think Sunday mornings are vital that we gather together, that we give God his praise and his worship that he is due. I think it's vital. But I see it as a chance where we get you together, we dust you down, smack you around the chops, patch you up and send you back out into the world. Because that's what we're called to be. We're not called to be pew fillers. We're called to be salt and light. Salt is needed where there's rottenness. Light is needed where it's dark. We're called to be salt and light. I many of your neighbors know where you stand in your faith. I love Paul's teachings, um, and I want just to, to quote um, a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And he writes this to the, his young protégé, Timothy, who was about 40 at the time. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life." And I love the fact that Paul gives Timothy permission to command people. So I'm going to take a liberty now and I'm going to do a few commands. I command you to be rich in good deeds. I command you to be generous and willing to share. This is what being salt and light is all about. People read Christians, they don't read the Bible. And then of our passage this morning, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Catch fire for Jesus. People come and watch you burn. They, they don't want to see passive Christians. They want to see Christians who make a difference. And the story of Smith Wigglesworth um, was one of my heroes. Most of my heroes have certainly been with the W, Wilberforce, Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth was a man of faith. He did miracles and healings all over the country and the world. But one day he was traveling in a train and there's quite a noisy carriage and the the other guys were laughing and, and joking and he felt he couldn't even pray out loud, he couldn't do anything, so he went out for a walk. When he came back and sat down, one of those guys fell at his knees and said, I feel convicted of sin, what must I do? Do we have that influence anymore? Does your presence at your workplace where you meet with others do you have that influence? Do you walking into a building change the atmosphere? Because it should. It's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is all about for works of service. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 59 times in the book of Acts. In 36 of those, he's speaking to people, tell them what they should be doing. And we need to be a people that listen to the voice in God and prepare to go out and make a difference. Let your light, the light that's in you, that's Jesus, so shine before men that they may see your good works, but they'll glorify our Father. I'd like to finish just by praying for you. And when I say I want to pray for you, I'm not going to do a nice little prayer, you know, you close your eyes and I'm just going to pray for you. But I actually, want to bring you before God. I want to bring you into the throne room of God and ask him to bless you in your ministry, in your service, in your work for him. So can I pray for you? It, says close. it doesn't say to close our eyes in the Bible. Let's close our eyes a minute. And I want to bring you before our Father. Father, you, you see us here this morning. People that you've called to be your followers. People that you've called to be salt and light. Father, give us the courage to stand up what is right, the courage to make a difference in our workplace, in our home, in our neighborhood. Give us the courage, Lord, to go in and make a difference. I pray for you this morning, Father, bless this congregation. Touch them, Lord, inspire them, stir them up, Lord, for works of service, that people will see their good works and glorify you. I pray in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.